Welcome to China in Context. I'm Paul Hodges. South Korea is a nation which has gone from abject poverty to impressive levels of wealth in a very short space of time. When I first went there in 1987, it was still a relatively poor country. You could smell the staple dish of kimchi being made from cabbage, radishes, onions and garlic as you walked along the streets. One moment which sticks in my mind was a visit to a factory on the outskirts of the capital, Seoul. As I walked in with my colleagues, all 450 workers and the management were gathered in the main warehouse, watching a tiny black and white television screen. They were mesmerized by the TV news, which featured President Chun, who had seized power in a military coup seven years earlier in 1980, announcing that he had decided to hand over power to a democratically elected successor for the first time in the country's history. Our guest on the podcast today is the person who usually takes the presenter's chair, Duncan Bartlett, the editor of Asian Affairs. Duncan, you were following the election campaign. What do you see as President Yoon's priorities for his term of office? He would like to help young men become more happy. Now, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that he had the interests of the whole country at heart, but young men are particularly important to him. And that's because they voted for him in significant numbers in the recent election. So more men in their 20s voted for Mr Yoon than men in their 70s. The young men were the swing voters. And given that that the the election outcome was very, very close, less than 1% between the uh, two main candidates, Mr Yoon wants to reward these youngsters for their support. He promised a few things which he thinks will improve the lives of the younger generation. Uh, Better job prospects, more affordable housing. That's a big issue, particularly in the big cities like Seoul. And a universal basic income. There's another element to this, too, because uh, many young men feel that they've been neglected and that young women have been getting all the attention. So Mr. Yoon has said that he wants to abolish the Ministry of Gender Equality. His message on the campaign trail was, let's stand up for ourselves, guys. How do you think President Yoon's foreign policy will differ from his predecessor, Mr. Moon? South Korea has been walking a tightrope. So imagine a person inside a big top circus tent, walking on a high wire, carrying a set of weights. On one side, the United States of America. On the other side, China. And the tightrope walker needs to keep both sides in perfect balance in order to not fall off the rope, which would be a disaster. Well, actually, that metaphor made sense until fairly recently. But I think things have changed. I think the idea that uh, uh, South Korea needs to give equal importance to China and the United States has changed quite fundamentally because public opinion about China has shifted. It's become much more negative, and that's not just true in in, in South Korea. You can see that in in many democracies actually around the world, not just uh, in Asia, but also in Canada, uh, in Europe, uh, and in Australia particularly. You know, having said all that, Paul, what struck me during the election campaign is how little discussion there actually was of foreign policy. There was a lot of debate about domestic issues, the cost of property, standards of living, gender equality. But actually only a few times uh, did foreign policy um, rise up to the top of the agenda. 
And that was generally when the candidates were talking about North Korea rather than China. Uh, when it comes to China, I expect that there's going to be some more criticism of China on human rights issues. But, you know, it's also important to remember that Mr. Yoon, the new president, he doesn't yet have any experience of political office. His background was in the prosecutor's office, which is a very, a very different sort of job to being a diplomat. Um, and if we look at who he's appointed as foreign policy advisors, it's a fairly mixed bag. Nevertheless, I think, you know, overall, the signals are quite unambiguous. Mr. Yoon's focus is going to be on a tougher stance on North Korea and strong support for the Korea-US alliance. That's absolutely fascinating. So really, foreign policy perhaps is an area where there's more alignment uh, than on the domestic side. Do you think that this might, you know, we've seen the quad security arrangement set up with the USA, Australia, Japan and India to counter China's influence. Do you think that President Yoon might actually try and make the quad become the quint and join? Yes, I do, actually. I think the signs are there that South Korea could well become a part of the quad. So in recent months, and I'm talking particularly since February 2022 and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the South Koreans have been enthusiastically taking part in as many discussions about defense and security policy as possible. So the South Koreans were invited as observers to a NATO meeting in Brussels. That was a striking development. Um, and in terms of Mr. Biden's key foreign policy agenda, which is to encourage more close cooperation between democracies, South Korea is absolutely fully on board with that. You know, the outgoing president, Mr. Moon, famously met Donald Trump on a few occasions. But don't forget, he also went to Washington to meet Mr. Biden last year. And in fact, Mr. Biden will be going to Seoul soon to meet Mr. Yoon. So Mr. Moon, the last president, there was a military buildup on the Korean peninsula. And, you know, Mr. Yoon, despite this promise to please young men, he doesn't intend to abolish compulsory conscription into the army. And when it comes to Ukraine, South Korea is definitely one of the countries which is strongly supporting the US and Europe. So if the other Quad members invite South Korea to join, I think it would be a welcome invitation. Um, you know, having said that, I was speaking earlier about the idea of uh, South Korea walking a tightrope, balancing the relationship between China and the United States. China would strongly disapprove of South Korea joining the Quad. It might move to punish it. But, you know, it's probably a risk that South Korea is prepared to take. China's not particularly punishing Japan for being in the Quad. Uh, is it punishing Australia? Well, yes, it is, actually. The, um, the, uh, the Chinese uh, have uh, cut off uh, some valuable imports from Australia, but that's not primarily because Australia's in the quad. It's because Australia has been challenging China over other issues uh, to do with COVID and so on. Um, and India, which is in the quad, well, you know, it's a complex relationship <laughs> between India and China. But one thing I would say is that they enjoyed their most fruitful trade relationship last year. 
um, and India won't want to uh, cause more problems with China uh, if it can help it, uh, given the uh, fragile state of the economy in India at the moment. This is fascinating, Duncan. We've, we've, we've covered quite a lot of ground already, but I wonder if I can turn you to the economy, uh, because South Korea is now the 10th largest economy, and China is its largest trading partner. So in, in all this complexity of foreign policy, there is an economic interest here. Do you think that Yoon's China policies may have to change after taking office in order not to jeopardize the economy? Particularly as it does seem that we're moving into a major, major slowdown and, quite frankly, probably a, re a recession. Well, it partly depends on China. Uh, China's got ambitions to be more economically self-sufficient. Uh, the, the, the phrase in China being used a lot is dual circulation. Um, uh, one of the uh, areas in which China is uh, attempting to invest heavily uh, is in the production of sophisticated microchips and semiconductors. That's an area in which South Korea leads the world at the moment. Um, China will still want South Korean semiconductors for a long time to come. It will be uh, more keen to uh, buy them than to be dependent on the uh, semiconductors from Taiwan. You know, but we need to bear in mind that there's a steep decline in China's growth rate this year uh, because of COVID. You talked about the possibility of a major slowdown or a recession. Well, there's plenty of trouble elsewhere in the world, Paul. I think it's highly possible that both the US and the EU could be in recession by the end of 2022, or at least 2023. And that would be bad news for South Korea which is an export-led economy. So stepping away from China for a moment, uh, President Yoon has said that a key aim in foreign policy is to improve relations with Japan. That's quite an interesting topic. Uh, do you think this is going to happen? Well, Paul, you might know that sometimes I write articles for a magazine called The Diplomat. It's based mm. in Washington. It's a rather good magazine, I think. Um, and I've promised to write a special report on the first meeting between Mr. Yoon and the Japanese Prime Minister, Mr. Kishida. <laughs> well, it hasn't happened yet. Right. Uh, it, it's not been announced, but my view is that it will happen and it will happen soon. And mm. it'll be a historically important meeting mm. because for the past few years, the relationship between South Korea and Japan has been in a very poor state. Mm. Uh, largely because of the resentment in South Korea over Japan's actions in the colonial period. We don't have time to go into all, all the history of that now. But I mean, if we turn to the present, I thought it was very significant that Mr. Yoon sent a group of uh, senior people from South Korea to Tokyo before his inauguration on a mission to try to patch things up a bit. So that's really fueled my optimism that the, the Tokyo-Seoul relationship may finally be about to improve. Um, the wording was careful, though. Uh, the, the new South Korean foreign minister, Pak Jin, said that the two sides are discussing ways to resolve issues in a future-orientated manner, which sounds very positive, based on a correct historical understanding. Ah, <laughs> I see. Well, that depends who you think is correct, doesn't it? <laughs> Um, you know, never, nevertheless, you know, there was a meeting between Park Jin uh, and the uh, Japanese Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi, um, the Defence and the Industrial Policy Chiefs, they also met. There's a lot of effort to improve bilateral ties. So 
I think my hope of writing an article for The Diplomat about the meeting of the Japanese Prime Minister and the South Korean President is by no means unrealistic. <laughs> uh, there's another, another area, of course, of uh, foreign but also domestic politics uh, for uh, President Yoon, which is North Korea. Do you think there's likely to be another follow-up summit for Kim, Kim Jong-un with President Biden? I'll keep my answer short on this one. No. And the words that Mr. Yoon used to describe all those meetings between American presidents and the leaders of North Korea were as follows. They have been a complete failure. That's what he said at a press conference after becoming president. So I am confident that there'll be absolutely no enthusiasm on the part of the South Koreans for brokering more meetings between the North Koreans and the Americans. It hasn't got them anywhere. Um, and uh, they don't see it as being a fruitful approach. So just sort of bringing this to an end, which has been fascinating. If we look forward a year, and I want to bring you back to foreign policy in China, because I do think that is going to be a critical area. In a year's time, if we get together, what are the key areas that will have changed? And what should we be looking out for over the next year in order to try and understand key direction of travel. Well, I wonder whether we need to consider religion here. Oh. You see, as a child, Yun Sok Yol attended a Protestant missionary school in Seoul. And the Nikkei newspaper dispatched a reporter to find out a bit more about that school. And they concluded that the religious narratives he heard there about saving the souls of the vulnerable have played quite a big role in shaping his worldview. So one of uh, Mr. Yoon's former classmates said that throughout his career, his education has left him with the belief that he's involved in a perpetual fight of good versus evil. What's that got to do with China? Well, you know, we live in a world in which this uh, good versus evil narrative is strong. Uh, particularly since the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, that worries me, to be honest, Paul, because I think it oversimplifies things. Are we to see the foreign policy relationship between South Korea and North Korea as good versus evil? Are we to see China in this light? Successful diplomacy requires an approach which is always somewhat pragmatic, And I hope that that will be reflected in the ongoing relationship between South Korea and China. Yeah, I think I would certainly agree with you there, Duncan, that life is more grey areas than black and white. Uh, History tends to show that if you get into black and white, it becomes quite difficult to move forward. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, You've covered a lot of ground there, and I think I've learned a lot from the discussion. I'm Paul Hodges. Chairman of New Normal Consulting. This podcast is produced by SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team. <laughs>